Today's episode of Down to Dunk is brought to you by Central Bank. Strong roots, endless possibilities isn't just a statement. It is Central Bank's past and future. It is their successes and challenges. It is more than 110 years of service that spans across 140 plus locations. Strong roots, endless possibilities. That means that they're here for you. Learn more at centralbank.net. Member FDIC. I'm Deontay Burton, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Hamadou Diallo. Hey, I'm Danilo Gallinari. I'm Chris Paul, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Luke Dort, and I'm down to Dort. What's Dort? I'm not gonna lie, I don't know what that was. In English, bro. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shake Gilders Alexander. I'm Steven Adams. I'm Andre Robinson, and I'm down to dunk. Yeah. On you. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me today is my good friend, Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? Hey, Vital is about to reopen, so I don't know how to feel, if good or bad, but, but I will go for a very, very long run tomorrow morning. Nice. I can tell you that. How far will you go? Uh, I'm trying to make the... the, the like equivalence between miles and kilometers but like 10 kilometers which is roughly i don't know four miles four and a half miles something like that six miles yes something like that yeah wow i uh yeah i'll try not promising anything see i'm i don't know what i'm waiting for to run six miles but um i'll say i'm still waiting for that to happen (laughs) so (laughs) oh i'm gonna try I'm, i'm not probably going to succeed but yeah oh you can you can do it so today we are going to pick back up with our top five ratings we are going to go through the top five centers in the nba uh mckelly the numbers have been uh for me a little wonky i feel like there are definitely four guys that fall into the top five and we'll discuss those guys and where they should be ranked and all that um, but what did, what did you find with, you know, searching through the numbers? So rating centers should be quite easy in modern NBA. I mean, you should be able to value certain things, uh, not overvalue statistical production, but turns out that it's extremely hard, especially if one guy that is in my top five, uh, in my mind, at least, uh, I cannot get his numbers because his name is spelled in like 200 different ways across the uh, my database but uh, apart from that i mean it's hard to uh, to give an exact meaning to to numbers when you're talking centers because um statistics like analytics about defense are very shaky and even if you have like block metrics and percentage at the rim against blah 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 mm-hmm. it doesn't still get you where you want to be um because i mean there are so many other things about defense that are just not like protecting the rim um so it's it's kind of hard i agree with you it's it's hard and the fifth spot i mean my my uh my model has a pretty clear uh fifth guy uh, but but still if you look at number six number seven numbers uh number eight i mean i don't like really those guys and um, yeah so it, it's it's fun to discuss yeah it is 
Uh, I'll go through the metrics that I used, and um, you can do the same, and then we'll talk about our fifth guy. So I used uh, RPM, PER, rebound rate, estimated wins added, true shooting percentage, uh, defensive win shares, block percentage, overall defensive rating, screen assists, and contested shots are the ones that I used. I favor defense a lot more in this one just because defense is, as a center, if you can't defend at all, your worth, you know, kind of plummets. Yeah, I mean, I use basically all my metric uh, that I use every other time. So to shooting, uh, rebound rate, um, free throw rate, uh, blocks, turnovers, and, and a bunch of points per possession stats like isolation, post-ups, um, peak and roll yeah. as a role man, and then some some defensive metrics. So this is what I uh, use. And then, I, of course, I add a little bit of um, on-court value by uh, putting RPM, win percentage, net rating, defensive win share, and the difference between your uh, the field goal that you have against this guy and your regular one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, this is basically uh, um, is basically it. Um, and and my again my my top three really separates from every other guy. Yeah. The, Number four, I think, uh, we'll have basically close to the same. Um, we have the same person. And number five is really where things get extremely interesting. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really know how to, how to really rank those players. Yeah. So my fifth guy is Brooke Lopez. Oh. So Brooke, Brooke does uh, show up in your ratings too. Yes. Yeah, he... His his like overall numbers are not crazy impressive, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's eleven points a game, four point five rebounds. You look at those, you're like, how in the world could he be the fifth best center in the league? But his activity on the defensive end shows through tremendously, and he hadn't mm-hmm. shot the ball well from three this year, but he's still able to space the floor for the Bucks. And his defensive impact is, you know, shows up again and again and again. He's number one in contested shots among centers at nineteen point four per game, which to me is is huge. Um, in defensive rating, he shows up well, and a lot of that is because he the team he's playing with, the players he's playing with. But block percentage, he's second, you know, only behind Rudy Gobert. Uh, and just the fact that he has accepted the role that he has and is honestly maximizing the kind of player that he can be at this stage of his career um, and is kind of the fulcrum of the defense for the Bucks, who are the best defense in the league. I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's why I put him there. Yeah, I mean, Brooke... Ends up being number seven uh, in my in my list, pretty close to number uh, five and number six. Mm-hmm. Um, I included here Sabonis just to see yeah. uh, where where he would end up in my rating and end up um, in the in sixth place. Uh, number five, though, to it's it's Harold, and okay. I don't particularly like 
having him as a top five center in the league because mm-hmm. I don't think that is the case. But offensive, if you look at his offensive production yeah. and the effect, like the efficiency number, and even like the, the production overall, I mean, it's it, it's worth of the top five. Sure. And um, defensively, he has a lot of limitations. But I wonder in a small ball setting um, if he can be uh, effective enough because when you have him on offense and you have a, a good pick and roll partner, he can make a lot, especially oh, yeah. against second level, like second tier centers, uh, which is basically two thirds of the league. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, between him and Brooke Lopez, if I have to choose a center to win, I would probably choose Brooke because mm-hmm. I, I, I could bank on his shot, even if this season is his percentage are abysmal uh, compared to last year. Um, Brook is a more sound and probably steady uh, center, but Harry can give you twenty points off the bench mm-hmm. in like against basically everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder. I'm I'm really torn because I know why my model puts him there, uh, but in the same time, if I have to pick by myself uh, without looking too much into numbers, it's really a close call. I think between him and uh, and Brook Lopez. Yeah. Where I mean, does he rank on your on your list? Harrell? Yeah. I mean, he's he's near there. He he's at 8 for me. Just okay. cuz the defensive impact numbers just aren't there for mm-hmm. for Harrell. Uh but his his productivity is you can't ignore it. You mm-hmm. know, 18 points, 7 boards, almost 2 assists per game and a block. You can't ignore that. I mean, he's he is uber productive. And that's what's, it's, it's difficult because it's almost like what, what do you value, you know, in a, in a center? And I think being able to stay on the floor is maybe one of the biggest things as far as like a role playing guy these days. Mm -hmm. And can, can you trust them to stay on the floor in big minutes of a playoff game is a question you have to ask yourself. And even Lopez, I mean, I, I think he's a he's a really good defensive player. He can shoot it. I think he'd be on the floor at the end of a game. I don't think Harrell would be on the floor at the end of a game. Uh, a lot of these guys, you can't guarantee that they'd be on the floor at the end of a close playoff game. You um, know? Can I ask you a question that will probably you will probably throw me out of the pod immediately? <laughs> but I'll, <laughs> I'll ask anyway. Um, like last season during that horrible series again against Sporting. Yeah. Didn't you feel that Steven Adams was out of place in closing minutes? Yeah, he was terrible in that series overall. And that's why, I mean, the question is, uh, it's not about Steven. I mean, he had a bad series and that happens. I don't want to, um, like, to say any other things uh, about that. But I wonder, when you have a defensive center mm-hmm. that cannot create anything on offense for you, Mm-hmm. Can you can you put him out there? Even Gobert against a guy that can shoot off the dribble, like yeah. three pointers off the dribble, is out of place in this league, mm-hmm. unless he can really create an advantage on the other end. And so I always wonder. I mean, Harold probably will be embarrassed uh, defensively in a pick and roll situation. Yeah. But can you survive that when you have a guy that can fly to get rebounds um, and? and can get you a bucket 
down mm-hmm. there. I remember the can't play canter, and I can't stress enough. I can't stress enough the fact that that was not only about the defense. I mean, the fact that he could not generate anything on offense mm-hmm. against Houston was the real issue, because the year before, uh, again, in, in that amazing playoff run that OKC had until Game Six of the uh, Western Conference Finals, Ennis was great. Not because of his defense, not because his defense was better, but because he could create um, mismatches on offense. Yeah. So that's why when you have Brook Lopez that, that shots like thirty eight percent from three, forget it. He will be on the on the court on the court. Yeah. Um, in a, in the final minutes of the, of a game, but suppose that he cannot hit at that at that clip, mm-hmm. and on the other end you have a guy like Harold. Can you make it work? with two defensive-minded guys like uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard uh, on the floor and, and Pat Beverly. Yeah, Pat I mean, Beverly too. I, yeah. don't, I don't know that the answer is no. Yeah, it's it's something that I hope that we can see this summer because <laughs> yeah, it, it is really can, interesting. Yeah, Can you imagine the series? of Clippers against Thunder. I don't know if that can happen in any fashion, um, but it would be extremely entertaining yeah. to see how um, Harold can sustain um, like the defense against a pick-and-roll Wizards mm-hmm. in Chris Paul. That would be amazing to watch. And even Shea. I mean, Shea can, against a non-blocking center, can do, well, used to do magic. I don't know uh, if we can see it any again now but uh, i mean it would have been an amazing series to watch mm-hmm. well any any playoff series at, at this moment it's it's an amazing thing right to watch. But <laughs> even even like grainy uh 80 basketball is amazing to watch mm-hmm. yeah no i and i i don't i don't think putting harold at five is wrong and i don't i mean it's the position is is difficult just because I think that you have this big group of guys that includes Harold and Brooke Lopez and includes Steven Adams and mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton for the time being, just because he's a young guy and Miles Turner, Andre Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge, Jonas Valanciunas, Clint Capella, Nikola Vucevic, Nikola Vucevic. That was my last guy. It's you've got all these guys. You're like, okay, there are really great things about all of them. And there are major deficiencies about all of them. And I don't know that you can... I mean, I I think guys like Drummond and Capella and even Steven Adams to an extent, like you can't play them at the end of big-time games sometimes, depending on the matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Aldridge, probably Aldridge as well. I mean, he's he's slow, slow-footed defensively, mm-hmm. and he's kind of fallen off a little bit. You know, he's had a great season that nobody talks about is Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had he had a really really interesting season. Season. I I always question being like centers, especially in in teams that are not extremely good. Yeah, um, that Grizzlies team is good. They're in the playoffs. Yeah, in the West. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's a bit—he's yeah. a big reason why, the and, class. and no one ever really talks about that. He's one of the big reasons why that the Grizzlies have been in this mix because he's very consistent. 
can score the ball. He's not horrible on defense. He's not great. Uh, but, you know, he's 15 points per game, 11 boards, two assists, a block. I mean, he's he's been very good for them. Yeah, and I think that he is one of those guys that if you can play them 25 to 28 minutes a game, um, not over 30, um, he, he, he can be your, like, he can be productive offensively. Yeah. And, and again, defensively, if you mix his minutes against maybe second unit some, and you manage. I mean, we we all seen Enes Carter being managed perfectly by Bilbao mm. that season, and I think that Valanciunas is s- similar. Uh, he has a similar role. He's probably better um, yeah. defensively defensively than Enes. Yeah, for sure. And probably a lesser rebounder than him offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is, when they trade, they made the trade uh, to get Marcus Olis. It was not about Valanciunas being bad, but more so Marcus Ol being better in the aspect that. Valanciunas is lacking, so passing and and probably mainly passing and and being able to be to understand basketball at a different level in Marcus mm. But Valanciunas was productive in Toronto. He was not a bad player for them. It's just not the player that puts you over uh, a certain threshold. That's why I, I mentioned like middle of the class team for him. I, yeah. I do think that he can struggle in particular teams that have to perform at a certain level. Because if Valanciunas has a bad night, no one will care. Yeah. If he has it in, in Toronto in a national televised game, that is a big issue. So yep. I wonder if he is a guy that finds his niche and can be a very good player there. But if you move him in a more competitive environment, he is not the same player. Mm-hmm. No, I th- I totally agree with everything you said. He's He's a nice regular season center to have. That is going to night to night going to help carry your team. But when it comes to big moments, I agree. Like you'd rather have a guy like Marcus all who's a guy I didn't mention, but is like uh, amongst this group now, you know, he's not a top five guy anymore, but uh, there's this group of centers. Most, most everybody that I mentioned is overpaid in this group is another thing about them. Just, because of the nature of the year they got their contract or whatever. There's just a lot, there's a lot in there, but most of these guys are considered to be overpaid because they're this, they're not the, the center that's, you know, just kind of off the scrap heap kind of guy that's on a minimum deal. That's making it work as the starting center or the backup center or whatever your neurons, Noel's or people like that. They're just a tier above that. But it's almost like you don't necessarily want the guy who's a tier above those guys or a tier below the top four guys. You know, it's just this weird zone of center where it's like, okay, we know these guys are more valuable than your just replacement level guy. But is it necessarily the best way to spend your money as an NBA franchise anymore? And yeah, that's 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 the deal. I mean, I wonder what happens if we include the salary in this um, in this like exercise that we're yeah. doing. Because if you if you measure like the production of a guy like Noel, and you take the salary into consideration, yeah, I mean, he would be top five. Probably. He, he so would the be production up there. per yeah. per money. If you do like euro per uh, sorry sorry uh, production per dollar, that. That would be an interesting stuff to do, and I, yeah. 
I, I still think that if you talk about like top level guys, and I don't think that Harold nor Brook Lopez nor number four in our list, because I'm sure now that we have the same guy. Um, I don't think that that I would put them above a guy like Noel. But if you talk about the top three, you can say, oh yeah, I mean, you pay a lot, but the premium that you get is is insanely high. And this yeah. is something that we discussed a lot uh, when we when you talked about Stevens Steven during the during the season. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the salary, you cannot you cannot deny that Nails has a better production per cost. Oh, but yeah. if you want to see the better player, then it's still Steven. It, yeah. it, it makes sense, um, but we are we're probably getting too much into, into this, so we should we should really go, move forward with our list. Let's go to number four before we do a three-hour podcast. Um, it's Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, is number four. Yeah. And what the rest of these guys can do on this list that the guys behind them can't is completely carry your team on one end of the floor. And exactly. uh, Towns, 26 points per game, 10 boards, 4.4 assists, uh, 1.2 blocks per game. Defensively, he doesn't show up well in the defensive metrics. You know, he's middle of the road and everybody knows he's got to improve on the defensive end. But still, you cannot find guys that can average 26, 11 and almost, you know, four and a half assists a game out there. Like they just... You can't find those kind of guys, and he can shoot it from three. And they're shooting 41.2% from three on almost eight attempts per game in the 35 games that he that's played. That's to- totally insane. Yeah. That is like complete insanity. It is. I mean, He's playing I, with I, Jeff I, Teague for the most part, <laughs> and Jarrett Culver. Oh, poor, poor Teague. I mean, his career has took like a nose dive but anyway um do you know what i would do like if i if i was a, a front office guy in minnesota i would be on my phone trying to hire perk every day of the year <laughs> just, perk just, would probably do it just just come here in the mornings we don't ask you to be here every day you can do your tv gig you, you can be like uh whatever you want but just spend two hours a day whenever we are here with with Cat trying just to to beat him like no. every single time down the court mm-hmm. and to teach him something defensively because if you put like average defense even below slightly below average defense just just do two or three things that don't, don't compromise the entire defense mm-hmm. if you can do that you like Towns is probably the most complete center in this list if he does yeah. that. Because oh, yeah. the high, like the way in which Towns can be everything that you want him to be on offense is like not even Embiid is like that. Sure. He's probably better in terms of post up because he's bigger. He can muscle you down down low, but I mean you cannot give an inch to Towns. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a basket. No matter how good you are defensively. I mean, Stephen. I remember um, in at least a couple of occasions against the Thunder this season, Stephen did a pretty good job against him it, it really didn't matter yeah. i mean steven was hands in the face body onto him and he could still score yeah. i mean and it's such it's a pity that he's not up to the challenge defensively mm-hmm. at, at least up to now because i remember uh, i scouted him pretty hard that season uh, for the draft 
because I was lo- in love with him and, and, and David Booker, as you probably know very well by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember watching him and seeing him improving defensively, like staying vertical, doing all the right things. And even the first year with Garnett in Minnesota, we started to see something close to a, like a, a normal, good sort of good NBA defense. And then Garnett retires and everything goes away. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sort of pissed that that happened because, I mean, I was really high. I, I was one of the guys that said, I mean, Towns should really be in the same level of Anthony Davis, if not more, sure. because the trajectory was kind of dead at the time. But then the defense never materialized. And it's, again, pity because... I really like the guy offensively, but it's clear to me that it's not above the other top three guys. Yeah. Well, he's he's 24 years old, so he's got room to grow still. Yeah. But you need to put him in the right environment. He needs the right coach. He needs, you know, the right guys around him. I'm not sure D'Angelo Russell's the perfect guy to put next to him. Offensively, they're going to be awesome. Because I, I still, I think at this point that Russell's probably underrated as a player. Uh, yeah. Just because he's been trashed for whatever reason. Because he couldn't lead a really, really crappy Golden State Warriors team. Or I don't really <laughs> quite understand. Where the year before he's making the all-star team with the Nets and everybody's praising him. And then he gets, I don't know. It's, a lot of it to me is narrative. And I know that he doesn't defend either. And that's probably that to me is the reason why it's not the... Most he was playing pairing. with Kai Bowman. Like, he was playing with Kai Bowman. That that is true. That happened a lot. A lot of Kai Bowman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I like Towns a lot. I would, you know, if if they ever do trade him, I'm not sure the Thunder will be a, a team that will be trading for him. But if he can get put in the right environment around the right players, he can still be your number one guy. You know, I wonder I wonder if Chris Paul would really help him or if Chris would reach his frustration level that he has reached with many other players in the NBA. You know, I think there's like this definitely like this tipping point with Chris that you've seen throughout the years. Like his he got so frustrated with James Harden, you know, last season and would just lost it, you know, but like yeah. with, with all the guys on the Thunder this year. It's been great for him because he doesn't had to reach that tipping point with anybody. And I just wonder with Towns if if Towns would just really soak it all in and learn from him and you know let Chris help him, um, or if he would boil over just because his defensive rotations are off. You know, two out of three times yeah. down the floor. Uh, it's it's hard to know. Um, I I don't think that Minnesota would, would really entertain trade for no i mean obviously not i mean if they were going to they would have already done it and not traded for russell yeah instead exactly instead of russell the the counter was wiggins yeah yep well and and part of it's and really i'm just thinking not necessarily even just chris paul himself but any veteran you know that could come in and help i think that getting a veteran into play with Towns, I think, is pretty important to to teach him and to kind of set the tone. And if you're going to be a vet on a team that's young like they are, it needs to be someone that can actually play to set the tone. 
You know what I mean? And obviously, like, yeah. Robert Covington was not that kind of guy. But you need somebody that, that has some clout there to set the tone with really both Russell and Towns because they have tremendous talent. And if they can harness it, like, that should be a team that's competing for the playoffs and not a team that's looking for another top you know, five to seven pick. That should not that should not be the case. They've got they've got the talent there. Okay, number four, I've got Rudy Gobert, who's had kind of a up and down season where it kind of ended obviously on a very, very down note. But we don't I'm not talking about the coronavirus stuff. I'm talking about his his play on the defensive end toward the end of the season was not great. And mm-hmm. I think it did impact his scores because in the past he's been far and away the best defensive player in the league. And it shows in the numbers, in everything. And this season, it doesn't, it's not the same. Uh, But when he was playing well, and a lot of people think it was pouting or frustration, you know, that Mitchell's getting, you know, the shine and he's not. And there is, there was obvious issues and you can read about it on the athletic that there are issues not only just from the coronavirus stuff with the jazz but there were issues before with gobert and the team and so those things are concerning uh, but you can't ignore his defensive impact when he's playing at his peak and offensively he's not bad he's not a bad player on offense he's got good hands he's got good feel you know for where to be uh he's aggressive and, you know, he's not he's not a guy that you can use as the fulcrum of your offense or anything like that. But he's 15 points a game, almost 14 boards a game, one and a half assists, two blocks. I mean, his productivity is there. He's almost 70 percent from the field. I mean, he's he's been he's a very, very good player. And really, the reason the Jazz are where they're at. And so, um he also has one, two, three, four nicknames on uh, basketball <laughs> reference. Which, as we know, is a big part of our ratings and the way in which we go at things. It's huge. Um, yeah, and all, yeah. three of the four nicknames have, th- have three words in them. So the Stifle Tower, the French Rejection, the Gobert Report, and then the last one is uh, Gobzilla or Go. I, I don't think that you would call, say Gobzilla. I think you said Gobzilla, but you don't call him Gobert. I don't know. Or, Anyways. or Gobzilla. We can pronounce it Gobzilla à la, fran- à la française. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> Um, sorry, I can I can hardly uh, retain my French hatred because like, <laughs> everyone knows that Italian and, and Italian friends are like kind of. Anyway, um, <laughs> jokes aside, uh, for some reason uh, I. I have to uh, to make an intervention here with my rating because it has uh, Gobert above my number two guy. Uh, but I think that this is because the uh, probably the minutes uh, and or, or stuff like that because sure. I mean, Gobert has been more healthy than player number two in my mm-hmm. uh, in my ranking. So I agree to put him at the, in the third spot. Uh, I was watching in preparation for. The, the game against Oklahoma City. I was watching a bit of jazz uh, the, the week before, and I think it was against the Celtic, uh, the Celtics. Yes, I think two or three days before, yep. maybe maybe a bit more. I don't remember exactly. And, and and I had the same feeling that you were describing about 
a guy that was not as effective as he as he used to be. I mean, there were guys that was just going at the rim with him there. Uh, I remember like games um, against Oklahoma City where Russell Westbrook was legitimately scared about going at the well, not scared, but ineffective against Gobert at the rim, and I didn't see that. Uh, yeah. against the Celtics. Maybe well, he wouldn't go again. at him. He wouldn't He wouldn't attack the rim like he would. Exactly, exactly. Do, do you remember that. like that playoff series where, I mean, he was not him. And we, we discussed yeah. that. Like, Russ is not, he's not getting at the rim. He, like, Gobert is in his mind. Yep. And and I, I didn't see that player. Um, but on the other hand, if you look at the raw numbers, I mean, the line that you just uh, said, I mean, I would love the same line for Steven Adams. And I don't, I still don't know, like today. I mean, you can't wrap your head around the fact that he can average the same line. Like 15 and 14, come on. I mean, this is entirely in, in, in Steven's range. Yeah. But for some, and it's not that the Jazz are going at Gobert way more. No. It's, it's like, in the end, I mean, he, he's still productive. I mean, if you... I mean, there's no argue in my head that, that Stephen Adams is a better, and this is not a Stephen Adams pod, but I, I think we should relate everything we say kind of uh, with Stephen's production. I do yeah. think that offensively, he is a player that can give you so much more than what Gobert does. He's a better screener. Oh, yeah. He has a better touch. Better passer. Um, yeah. A better, better passer, yes. I mean, he averaged more than two, than, than one and a half assists this season, probably close to three, uh, or at least there was a point 2. in the 4, season. Yeah. Yeah, 2.4. Uh, so almost one assist more per game. But the, like the rebound, and and we know about the box out and blah, blah, blah. But still, in the end, I mean, if you have a guy like Steven Adams can average 18 plus 15, I'm convinced of that. Mm -hmm. If he just wants to do it more. And he would be in the top five. Um, back to Verdo, I agree that the defense, if, he's, if he is not at uh, like peak defense, uh, like... like um, the deploy candidate, he is not worth uh, of the top five probably. No. But no. but if you look at the entire season and not just the last month, then he has probably every right to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And if you're the Jazz, you do have to be concerned about his relationship with Mitchell and like, what do you do with that? And how does that evolve? And can they, you know, end up just being able to play together? Uh, I don't know. I think it's something to watch for, but his his productivity yeah. and his defensive metrics and everything put him at this spot. But you know, if if things go south and he doesn't play hard like he did, and he he falls into that that group where you're you're overpaid, you know, you're a, clearly a tier above, you know the the Nerlens Noels and guys like that. But your productivity doesn't match where your salary is. So it's just it's, the center position has just become very strange. Um, yeah, it's tricky though to find a deal like a good deal for for Rudy out there. It is, or, yeah. Oh, because you have yeah. to pay premium to um, to even entertain a trade again with the Jazz because he will probably be um, an All NBA guy or yeah. at least an All Defense. Uh, he will probably be top five in Depoy voting. And he has 26, 27 millions in salary. It's not super easy to find a place that makes sense. Well, 
it's it's why the Thunder probably at the end of the day won't trade Steven Adams. Yeah. Because because the productivity doesn't match his salary. And what are you gonna get back? You know, yeah. And Steven is helpful to the culture of the team. He helps I mean he is doing all the dirty work possible <laughs> without any of the glory. You know, when you look at his stat yeah. line, his stat line, it's his worst stat line in four years for Steven. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, it's wild. It is wild. Yeah, and he, and he really doesn't care. Yeah, no, he doesn't care. He does not. His demeanor <laughs> has not changed at all. But but with Steven, you know, there is a possibility that, say, OKC sign him um, with a declining deal. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think know. his next Something deal is like, going to be great. I think that he, I know, if you pay him ten to twelve million a year, mm, a bit more, I think he will probably sign something that will start around seventeen, sixteen, something like that, declining. Yeah. 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 Me, you don't care. Right. I mean, you don't care about like two thousand twenty-one money. Um, yeah. You care it's about two thousand twenty, probably three twenty-four. And I think that by the time he will average 20, 12 billions, like 11, 12, yeah. it's still, you have to pay him starter money, at least on average. So 15, like if you pay him yeah. uh, 60, yeah. 60, between 56 and 60 million per four year, mm-hmm. I think that this is the right price for Steven. And you can like manage the salary so that it makes sense. Yeah. No, I think that, that does Go- sound right. Yeah. Back to Gobert, he will demand max money again. Mm-hmm. Because again, he's an all NBA guy. Like, would you really pay like less than twenty millions for a guy like that? I, I don't think so. Well, his agent would be a very bad agent if he. Oh yeah. Got less than that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It would be a mess. Uh, okay, <laughs> number two is Joel Embiid. Yeah. Who yeah. is just another? And the Sixers are just such a hard team to to analyze, just because they. They put together a very clunky team, uh, mm-hmm. but he is twenty-three points per game, almost twelve boards per game, three assists, uh, a block, almost a steal a game, thirty-four uh, percent from three on three-point seven attempts per game. Uh, highly productive player, obviously has a defensive impact that whenever he's at his peak is similar to Gobert. Uh, and he can, if not better, at the at the very top of his game. Yeah, I mean injuries are a huge part of it for yeah. for Embiid, and it's scary. <laughs> he's a scary player to have as your number one guy just because of that. But he's highly productive. He's he's very very good on both ends of the floor, and can be your offensive and defensive fulcrum, which is. Really, the only guy that can actually do that is Embiid. He's the yeah. only guy, and he. I wouldn't. I don't know that you get that high end level all the time on both ends from him, but his ceiling is that of nobody else because of that. Because nobody can protect the rim and protect the paint like Gobert, and also be a guy on offense that. You can he can shoot it from anywhere. He's great as a post up player. Um, there's just nobody else like that in the league, and so um, injuries and consistency are what 
put him at two and not at one for me. And I also wonder, uh, I, I completely agree with what you say, by the way. And I, I also wonder what Embiid could be with a floor spacing point guard. Because, I mean, the fact yeah. that he, he takes trees, I mean, he can make trees. But mm-hmm. one, like, it's one thing to say, I take two or three three-pointers a game because, I mean, I pick and pop sometimes just to mix it up. Instead of, I have to be out there, un, 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 like to, to, get, to give ourselves spacing. Yeah. And this is completely different because if you give um, Embiid a point guard like Chris Paul that, or, or James Harden or Steph Curry that can, or Damian Lillard, mm-hmm. like guys like that, top guys like that, um, like that are real threat from the dribble then Embiid becomes immediately a monster because he will give you like tons of space by with his screening. And I mean, you have to, to pay attention to the ball handler and Embiid will become a monster because you can post him up, then use him as a roller, then using as a like pick and pop threat. He can do everything. Uh, the point, the fact that he spends too much time, I think, uh, away from the basket is... It's probably taking away some from him. And yes, as you said, I mean, an LC Embiid is probably number one without without question in the league. Uh, but since we don't have that version and we really didn't have that version for the entire uh, Embiid career, uh, I think number two is where he belongs. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so number one is Nikola Jokic. Uh, yeah. He's... Uh, so incredibly skilled and it's it's pretty crazy that a guy that was drafted in the second round that has his um body type i guess Mm -hmm. would be the way to say it has become the best center in the nba but i don't think it's even it's not a hot take at all you know he's 25 years old he's coming into his prime he's 20 points per game 10 boards seven assists uh one steal per game, almost a block a game. Uh, shoots 31% from three, which, but he takes them. He takes three and a half a game, um, which is important. And has shot, has had seasons where he shot the ball a lot better than that. But um, mm-hmm. he's, he's just an, an offensive player that doesn't exist anywhere else as the, at the center position. Because he is your everything on offense. He's your facilitator. He can score, obviously. He's a tremendous rebounder. He's almost at two and a half offensive rebounds per game as well. Uh, he makes 81% of his free throws. I mean, he does everything on offense for the Denver Nuggets and has made them into one of the best teams in the NBA. And He is Denver offense. I think yeah, that. No question. Yeah. Like the system there is get the ball to Jokic and then try and, and then move around him and yep. he will find you. Yep. Um, some Somehow, and this is, um, I think this speaks very highly about Malone's uh, coaching. Uh, somehow Denver is able to maintain a sort of identity that is different, but still working uh, with him off the court. It's not working as well, of course, but I remember vividly when they traded uh, Nurkic for, I think, Plumlee, and they had to give in a first-round pick as well. Something yeah. crazy like that. Yep. 
But somehow that really worked. And at the time, yeah, Jokic was some someone good, probably very good, but not like a transcendent player. And like to move away a like guy with a lot of potential in Nurkic, which was actually true. I mean, Nurkic blossomed in Portland. Um, yep. Like they even spent the first time pick to get rid of him. And it worked because, I mean, they empowered him, uh, Jokic, I mean, um, with a lot, like a lot of freedom on offense. They played a certain role, a certain style with him. And, and Plumley basically is your backup center that is glad to be a backup and tries to do stuff that makes sense on the court. And, and yeah, I mean, Jokic is amazing to watch. He, the craftiness, the, 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 like the fact that you cannot double him nowhere on the court and you will if you do it he will find the teammates that is wide open and it's um I, I think that like the phrase he is the best passing center in the history of the league or at least in the nba right now um is a correct one yeah. uh, i don't have the memory nor the experience to say that, he, that he's the best uh the best of the best but i mean i can say that there's no one right now in the league that has the passing ability um and the size that Jokic has. Yeah. I mean, as, as long as I've been watching the NBA, I've never seen a center like him as a passer. You know, yeah, there's guys some that... say Sabonis, like Sabonis' father. Yeah, and I remember a little bit of watching him. I can't say that I watched a ton of him. But, and a lot of that is like out of the post, you know, for those big guys. And that's like their specialty. But Jokic passes like a guard, yeah, he can pass out of the post. He can pass out of a double team. He can do all that. Great. But he can do everything <laughs> as a passer, which opens up everything for their offense. I mean, it, it makes their offense, and it makes Jamal Murray. He's like a, such a good fit with Jokic because I think of Jamal Murray. Like if Jamal Murray was the point guard for the Magic, I mean, still a good player. Yeah, but I think that we'd be like, yeah, he's, but he's very limited in this way and this way and this way. With Jokic, it's almost a perfect pairing because Jamal Murray is probably not your primary ball handling point guard. Mm -hmm. And you don't need that when you have Jokic. It's not it's not what you need. And so, uh, yeah, to me, he's he's the best. He's most consistent. He says he stayed relatively healthy throughout his entire career. Relatively in shape. <laughs> not always in shape, but it obviously doesn't always matter. And yeah. there's not another center in the league that's going to turn redder as the game goes on. And that's, it's <laughs> a part, a part of why. his talent. Yeah. yeah. And his, yeah. and his nickname, obviously the Joker second nickname, big honey. Yeah. So that, that is fitting. It's <laughs> extremely fitting. Uh, but or to recap our top five, I have Brooke Lopez towns, Gobert, Embiid, and Jokic. And your fifth was Harrell. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so pretty close on the list. Uh, center position is is a weird one. Unless you're a top tier center, uh, like we've discussed, it's just a, a weird place to be right now in the NBA just because those guys are being played off the floor. Uh, yep. But, um, and, you know, it's it's just interesting. And looking at the draft and, and stuff like that, uh, it makes you think, really hard about taking a center you know in the top you know 10 even like is that yeah. is that what we want to do 
just because like we discussed, a lot of these guys can't stay on the floor and in big time minutes of a playoff game. But the ones that can, the obviously Jokic and Bede, Gobert and Towns, like those are guys that if they are in a playoff game, those guys have to be on the floor because they're the best players on the team. And so yep. if you can find one of those guys, then it is very much worth it just because it's like Jokic and Embiid and Towns. Those are tough matchups for teams. They they dictate matchups for teams. But then you have guys like Drummond and Miles Turner and Steven Adams and Valanchunas and Vucevic. And it's like, okay, we can dictate the matchup with you. You know, it, it, we can we can turn that on you. Um, or at best, you can stay on the floor, but we are not affected by it. Oh yeah, we yeah, are. We're not affected by it, and we're gonna we're gonna you know you're toast on the off on the defensive end. Um, so, anyways, that's our list. That ends our top five for positions. We'll come up with other top five rankings for things, or you know if. NBA news starts to drop, we will cover that as well. Uh, let us know if there's any topics that you would want us to cover on Twitter um, at Mikey Barra or at Andrew K. Schlecht, and we'd um, love your input as well. Uh, hope you guys have a great day, and we will talk to you guys again on Wednesday with the Deborah Buckets Trivia Hour.